Thank you. I don't really know what to do with the introduction. Like that, it's kind of it's kind of hard. Uh, I was thinking more of this is coming back to be like family. Uh, when I got out of college, I didn't know what to do. I, I just called him. Actually, my, my call was, I don't want to move back in with my parents, man. What am I going to do? And he's like, come to the UP. And I looked at the map, and I was like, where is this thing called the UP? I don't even understand. And so it's, this is kind of like a little bit of a family reunion uh, for me, I, even though you are like, what? I don't know. It's been 11 years since, uh, since I was on staff here. Um, but like I said, he was my youth pastor. Uh, I was Pastor Benjamin's youth pastor. Pastor Benjamin was my, uh, was, was my intern. Um, you're actually the speaker that you had last week, uh, Pastor Chris uh, Hiddle. His wife, Catherine, was one of my youth, and I got the chance to marry uh, him and, and, and Catherine. Uh, and so this is really just kind of like a sweet homecoming uh, for me. I, I, really, I really like this. It's really nice. Uh, I, I want to show you guys my family. Um, I, when I left here, this is me and my wife, Amy. Um, and then since then, we've had two kids. Uh, Amelia, who is five now, and Paxton, who is eight. Uh, they really wanted to come up here. They love the UP. They love snow. They love being up here. Um, but I did a really poor job of telling Pastor Kevin, I will be here. Um, and then, then checked my schedule. And like, it was a crazy weekend. And so my family is still back in Wisconsin uh, and missing you guys. Uh, I, and, then, and then after I said, I will be here, they told me what the sermon series was called Fixer Upper. And I'm like, oh, guys, like, you don't understand. My dad was the one who fixed stuff and built stuff. Like, I, I can't do any of that. Like, Pastor Benjamin was telling me about, yeah, it's like Chip and Joey Gaines. I was like, no, no, no. We watched the show. My wife is Joanna. I am not Chip at all. <laughs> like, you don't understand. My, matter of fact, my first set of tools, the only tools I still have was given to you, me by you guys. Like, when I was called to, to Northridge in Marshfield, uh, I was given this nice tool bag with, like, drill and saw, and that's the only tools I still have. It's, I, I'm not very good at building stuff. Remodeling is not what I do. Matter of fact, when I came here in 2003, Pastor Kevin was remodeling his basement so I could live in it, and he let me help. Um, and then after the, like, the first hour, the only help I was allowed to do was to sand drywall. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to touch anything else. And then I noticed real quickly I was only allowed to sand the drywall that was up high because he couldn't reach it. And I realized, wait a minute, He's not actually letting me help here. He's just trying to make me think that I'm helping because he can't reach up high to be able to do that. And so I realized, I was like, listen, I, I, I can't do fixer-upper type stuff. I can't do remodeling. Um, but when he said, oh, no, don't worry. It, this, this series is actually about relationships. I was like, oh, oh I get relationships. I can, I can do those. I can wrap my mind around friendships and family relationships, and, and those relationships that are good on one day and not good the next day, the ones that are reciprocal, uh, back and forth constantly, and even some of those relationships that, you know what, it's just, it's straight up one-sided. Uh, it's, it's, it's always one person giving and that, that other person just receiving. Uh, a couple years ago, actually a lot of years ago, this really dated me when I looked this up, uh, in 1994, there was this movie called Forrest Gump. Many of you have probably seen it. Uh, I didn't realize this, but actually it won Best Picture, Best Actor, and Best Director that year. And I was surprised that I watched it because usually if a movie wins an award, I, it's general rule, I don't watch it. Um, but I watched this one. And it's about um, a simple guy named Forrest Gump. And he, he really loves Jenny. 
Uh, it's this girl, it, it, she is his, his first really and really only friend. Um, but throughout the course of their life, it's, it's Forrest that continually tries to be Jenny's friend. It's Jenny who makes poor life choice after poor life choice. And, and somehow Forrest like always shows up and like is always there trying to help and, and trying to figure out what she needs. And, and she never wants any of it. And yet she keeps making poor choice after poor choice. I remember one time uh, Forrest finds her. She's in a strip club uh, with nothing but a guitar on stage. And Forrest runs up there and like ushers her out. And she's like, stop it, Forrest, stop it, Forrest, stop it. And see, well, Forrest was really well-meaning. Jenny didn't think she needed help. But I'll tell you what, their relationship could have used a real good fixer-upper. See, Forrest was always trying to, to fix and, and, and help and, and change her a little bit. But Forrest was at his best when he listened to Jenny and helped her get what she needed, not necessarily what she wanted. Now, this concept of, uh, of relationship is far bigger than Forrest Gump. I think all of us need some help when it comes to relationships, when it comes to friendships. And, and honestly, I'm very glad that Silver Creek is addressing it for an entire sermon series. They're just looking at relationships, and, and I'm blessed that I was asked to be a part of speaking to that. See, the reality is that some relationships just need an extreme makeover. And that's the, 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 the thing we're looking at today, the, the, the show that we're looking at today is Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Uh, many, some of you have been a part of this. You've watched this show. It actually, I didn't realize this. It stopped back in 2011. I realized that's a long time ago for a show to stop, but it still lives on. Like, we still remember what it is. Remember Ty Pennington? He was the, uh, the guy who was kind of in charge. He was the, the personality. And his goal was to, to go into a, a community and find a family that was in need. And to help them meet their needs, not necessarily their, their wants, but meet their needs for their home. Not necessarily what they could afford or what they wanted, but what they actually needed. And see, Ty, uh, he was the one with the, the wacky personality, uh, the excitement. He was the one that, that gathered the volunteers together and, and, and brought the community together to help and work on the home. Matter of fact, does anyone, does anyone remember the catchphrase? What was, it, what was it that he said right before the big reveal? Anyone remember? Raise your, raise your hand. Come on. I, I'm a children's pastor, and so I'm, I'm used to this. You can just shout it out. What was it? Yeah, it was move that bus. Remember, move that bus. That was the big rallying cry. And then they would, they would move the bus out of the way, and the family would be like, whoa, and they would freak out because their house was totally remodeled, totally fixed up, totally done. Now, I don't, I don't know if, if Ty or the creators of the show uh, were, were Christ followers. But I do know after watching enough of that show, enough, after seeing Ty enough, that, that he understood the principle of hospitality. See, he understood that hospitality was about focusing on the guest, the one who was to be served, not the servant himself, the, the person, or in this case, the family who needed assistance. And Ty, he understood relationships because, see, he saw that what people needed, and then he helped deliver that. 
He saw through maybe what they wanted at first and discovered what the family really needed. He gets relationships. He knew how to entertain people, how to receive them in a way that focused not on himself, not on the volunteers, but focused on the family who is in need. And so let's dive into relationships, particularly relationships that, that tend to be one-sided, that, that relationship where you're giving, 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 or maybe all you're doing is receiving, receiving, receiving because of the stage of life you're in or because of the type of relationship that you've engaged in with this certain person. And I want to look at how Jesus approached these type of relationships. And so if we're going to do that, uh, we're going to look at how Jesus started this extreme makeover. And so can you do me a favor? Can you guys just say, move that bus with me on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. Move that bus. You know, I thought about like trying to get like a real bus or something like that, but it, that was just too hard. So Jesus gives us a great example uh, for relationships that are more one-sided than not. Now, we, we've, we've all had those one-sided relationships. You know, those relationships where, where you, you give far more than you get back. Now, if you're like, man, pastor, I, I've never had a relationship with that. Listen, afterwards, come talk to me. I will be that friend to you. you can, I, I, I need a lot of stuff. You can just give to me. I have no problem. So if you've never experienced this type of relationship and you'd like to, come talk to me afterwards. We'll make that happen, okay? But, but Jesus was a part of an extreme makeover himself. Now, it was not an extreme makeover home edition. In Jesus' case, it was an extreme makeover body edition. See, Jesus on Good Friday was hung on a cross. He was beaten. He was pierced with, with nails in his hands, a spear shoved in the side. The dew was just trashed. His body was wrecked. He died on Good Friday, and then Easter in a couple weeks, you guys, we're going to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. When he comes back to life, his body was totally made over. He came back, and he looked like the pristine of health. He looked like he was back pre all the beatings and hangings on a cross, except for two things. He still had the wounds on his hands, the Bible says, and he still had this, this pierced side on him. Now, I read about that, and I think to myself, why? Why would Jesus, who went through all the trouble to die and to be raised back to life, why would he leave those two things? Like, if, if I were Jesus, I'd be like, listen, can you just, like, God, let's just make me, like, look awesome, you know? Like, can you th maybe throw a six-pack in there, you know? Like, how would I come back even better than I was? But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus came back, and he left those scars on him. And in John 20, he, he records how he shows them to his disciples. Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 20 and put your thumb on chapter, or verse 25. We're going to get there in just a little bit. John 20, 25. See, I think the reason that Jesus came back was he understood relationships far better than you and I ever will. He understood that there are some relationships that are one-sided. Matter of fact, all of Jesus' relationships with his disciples were pretty one-sided. He gave and he gave and he gave and received very little back from his closest 12 
friends. And so the first time Jesus appears to his disciples after being raised from the dead, after being radically transformed, after literally beating death, he doesn't throw a party and entertain them. He he focuses in on what they needed. He focuses in on what their questions were. His primary concern was his friendship with his disciples. He didn't like get up there and be like, guys, let me tell you what I just did. I'd like totally conquered death. You know those three days I was gone? Let me tell you what I did. He doesn't brag about what he did. He doesn't tell everyone about this amazing wild story. He doesn't gather people around him to focus on himself. He gathers his disciples in and starts asking them questions and starts showing them his scars to prove who he is and why he did it for them, because they needed it. Well, here's the issue. The first time Jesus gets back with his disciples, there's one disciple that was out, I don't know, getting coffee, getting groceries, something. He wasn't there. His name was Thomas. He gets kind of a bad rap. We call him Doubting Thomas, because he gets back in John 20, and he tells his disciples, because the disciples were like, dude, you are not going to believe this. Remember Jesus? Remember him dying? He came back to life. Like what he said, it actually came true. You're not mind blown. And Thomas is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. John 20, verse 25, records Thomas as saying this. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds on his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. And then eight days later, the disciples, they're together again. And this time, Thomas is with them. They were like, listen, Thomas, hang out with us because you're not missing him again, okay? The doors are locked. But suddenly, the Bible says, as before, Jesus, boom, was standing among them. Peace be with you, Jesus says. Then he said to Thomas, I mean, can you imagine that? First off, you're Thomas, and then Jesus appears, and he looks right at you. And Thomas is probably like, oh, no. He says, Jesus says, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. See, Jesus knew exactly what his disciples, especially Thomas, would need in order to believe who he was, and what he was about post-resurrection. And although it benefited Jesus none to still have scars in his hands or a, a wound in his side, he was willing to keep those scars just so Thomas would believe. My question for you guys is, are you willing to stay friends or to start being friends with a few people who need you more than you need them. Because Jesus, as our example, did it really well. And because he is our perfect example, he leads us, desires for each of us to do the same. Now, I mentioned that, that Ty Pennington, the, the, the host of Extreme Makeover Home Edition, that he practiced hospitality. I also believe that Jesus understood the true meaning of hospitality. He understood 
what hospitality was because that was the whole reason he kept those scars on his hand. He went through the whole extreme makeover, body addition, but left those fine details for Thomas, for his disciples, for you, and for me. Now, when I was given this, uh, this passage and this, this topic, I thought to myself, oh, God, why am I speaking on hospitality? Have you ever taken one of those spiritual gifts tests? Well, hospitality is one of those. Yeah, guess what my absolute lowest one is? Hospitality. I thought to myself, this is just a funny joke, right, God? Like, you want me to speak on this idea of hospitality? Hospitality is not high on my skill list. Matter of fact, it is exactly on par with my ability to fix and remodel anything. And so when I'm looking at like the topic and the series, I'm like, okay, God, you're stretching me here. Let's do this. All right. But as I researched true Christian hospitality, I realized that many of us, that the church as a whole has made it much more complicated than it really should be. See, we've turned hospitality, we've turned the gift of being hospitable into being an entertainer, into entertaining people. See, entertaining and hospitality are not the same. Matter of fact, they are very different. See, entertaining turns the focus on the host. When you entertain somebody and you have them over to your house, you have to make sure your home is spotless. You, remember, if you've newly remodeled something, that's a really good touch. People like to see that. If you're entertaining people, the food must be abundant and must be excellent. And you as the host should appear calm and collected. Like you haven't spent the last month getting your house perfect to have somebody over. Meanwhile, you're wondering, are the mini quiches burning right now? Hold on a second. I must go check at the same time, entertaining you at the same time. See, we've turned that concept, which is really entertaining, as Christ followers, we've started calling that hospitality. And we thought, you know what? Listen, if I don't have it perfect, if I don't have it all put together, then I can't let anyone into my life that I would desire to pour into or would need me to pour into them. But see, Christian hospitality does not focus on the, the host. It focuses on the guest. It focuses on the friend. It focuses on the other person. Their needs are what become primary. Matter of fact, this spiritual gift of hospitality, we've, we've messed up so bad. I think that's why I score so poorly in hospitality because I think in my mind, I gotta be perfect. I gotta have it all together. And then, then I can engage someone who is in need. But hospitality is less about how nice our house is and much more about how nice the other person feels at your home or with you or surrounded by you and your love. See, hospitality is all about serving others, not entertaining them, which is what we've made it. Matter of fact, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, it says this, above all, love each other. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality 
to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received in order to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So if you take a hospitality or a spiritual gift test and hospitality ranks high or low, guess what? It's not really an excuse to not do it. Because scripture tells us that whatever gifts God has given you, you are to use them to love each other deeply, to serve others. Matter of fact, you can even be hospitable in a messy house. You can be hospitable while eating a meal of hot dogs. Or in, in my case, I would much prefer some, some good pasties. I mean, if we're going to be real here, you know? You can even, and I love this, you can even practice hospitality while cleaning up the mess that's in your house and you can engage your friend maybe to even help you. I like that concept. I was like, you know what? Listen, if I can do that, all right, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. See, Hospitality is less about the environment and more about the person. When that person leaves your presence, are they thinking more about you or are they thinking about more themselves? Are they thinking about, wow, man, Preston's a great entertainer. Are they thinking, wow, you know what? The thing that I was needing most has been met. You know, what, what I didn't even know that I was needing, that need has somehow been met. See, Jesus wants to free you and wants to free me from this misconception that hospitality is about entertaining. See, we think that we need to, to do an extreme makeover on our home, but really what we need is to do an extreme makeover on our own spirit and thought process. See, who is it? It's not is it, it's who is it that God is calling you to have a relationship with for their benefit, not your own. I like to use Romans 12 as a little bit of a guiding principle of how to look at my relationships and my friendships. Not all of them, but some of them, specific ones that God has placed me in or called me to. Romans 12, verse 9, says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. And then that passage ends with practice hospitality. See, those seemingly one-sided relationships, the ones with people and friends who, who we may deem in our own minds need a makeover. The reality is those type of friendships and relationships, if we allow them to not just be entertainment purposes, but actually for us to engage them in a way of hospitality, they actually make over us far more, or at least before they make over the other person. See, they help us to realize that Jesus has, has called us to be hospitable, to literally welcome people into our lives and our homes and to share with them because they're in need, to love them. Friends, don't let the pressure 
of perfection keep you from ministering as a friend? In Wisconsin, I, I pastor a church called Northridge Church, and our mission statement is to relationally love people to Christ-centered wholeness. Our goal, even as a church, is not to entertain people, but is to help serve them by being relational, by allowing them to see what a healthy relationship between people looks like so that they're open to seeing what an amazing relationship between them and God looks like. People are not projects. People are friends. And we're called to be hospitable to our friends. And so I want to put you at ease. You don't need to have an extreme home makeover in order to have people over to your house. You don't need to have some amazing hosting space. Listen, I, I've, I think honestly, youpers get this, I think a lot more than me. I, I've sat in some of your living rooms and, and the drywall's not finished. And you guys are cool with it. I love that. Because you look and you go, you know what? My relationship with you is more important than the environment that we find ourselves in. But some of you are here today and you're like, listen, I can never, I can never have people over my house. You know what? I, I don't even know if I have something to offer other people. Well, maybe for a long time, people have been pouring into you. You've been on the receiving end of a one-sided relationship. And maybe God's pushing you, maybe even today, to ask yourself, who are those people that need me to pour into them more than I need them to pour into me? See, with a slight attitude adjustment, with an others-centered type focus, that will do the trick to help you down this path. See, being a good friend is about what others need, not what I want. And so ask yourself, what does the other person need and how can I, with the gifts that God's given me, serve them? Jesus was the best remodeler slash host. They just didn't have TV back then or else I, I guarantee they would have asked him to host one of these shows. He did a makeover on himself and the whole time that he was going through this extreme makeover body edition, he was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. He was thinking about his disciples. He was thinking about Thomas, and he said, whoa, 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 you know what? Leave those scars. Leave those scars because they need those more than I need to be made perfect. See, Jesus befriended all kinds of people, but instead of trying to change everyone else, he met them exactly where they're at, and he remodeled himself first. I'm not trying to say that you should be here today and you should somehow radically change everything you do. But I am saying, don't just entertain people. Don't just make yourself look good for the purpose of having people over and call it hospitality. See, when we start doing that, we cater to what I want or what they want. Instead, I want to push you to be hospitable to just a few have relationships, have conversations, moments that make the other person think and feel good about themselves. 
that make them really assess in their lives what they need, not necessarily what they may want. The final question I want to leave you guys with today is this. When someone leaves my presence, are they thinking more about me or themselves? See, someone who is really practicing Christian hospitality does that. They don't worry about what their house or what they look like. They worry about how will the other person feel about themselves? Well, they feel their their needs are being met. See, entertaining is about you. Christian hospitality is about your friend. And most of us, matter of fact, I would say all of us, need to have at least one friendship where it's more about the other person than it is about ourselves. See, when Thomas encountered the risen Christ, Thomas was deeply impacted. Remember, Jesus kind of yelled at him like, dude, stop being faithless. You need to just believe. Well, Thomas's life was radically changed. His belief in Jesus, but also his belief in himself because of how Jesus spoke into him, how Jesus treated him, changed Thomas's life. Tradition tells us that Thomas ended up going to to Greece and then to India where he preached Jesus' name. He preached salvation and forgiveness until the day that he was killed by a spear shoved through his side because people couldn't take his radical message anymore. Hospitality shown to Thomas changed his life's trajectory. Now I know of a a great pastor who's well-known in this church and gave uh, a really probably over-the-top introduction for me, who's pastored, who's led this body for 15 years, and he used to preach day in and day out that a kingdom of God is a kingdom of right relationships. The whole of the ministry that God has called me to is based out of that statement. That the kingdom of God is a kingdom of right relationships. And so I ask you, what relationships have you maybe been thinking about terminating? Because you look and you go, man, I just, all I do is give and give and give. And it just, it seems like it's not working anymore. What relationship has God put you in or called you to that is really one-sided? That God needs, not the person, but God needs you to remodel your attitude and practice hospitality to make them feel more important than you. To serve not what their wants are, that's very different, but to serve what their needs are. To bring them alongside and introduce them maybe to this Jesus that we see who is the king of all those who have the gift of hospitality. And so would you pray with me for an extreme makeover, not of this friend that maybe is coming to mind right now, not of that relationship that you know is one-sided, but pray for an extreme makeover of your attitude and how you engage your friendships who need you. Please pray with me right now. God, thank you that through your son, you give us the perfect example of relationship. 
of hospitality shown to those who need you. God, I pray that you would show each and every person across this room, Lord, those joining us in the hub, God, those who will be seeing this and listening online and and being pushed to look at those friendships that are one-sided that we may want to give up on. But Lord, we need to double down and ask that you would give us an extreme makeover in our spirit, in our attitude. God, I pray that you would give me a makeover first so that I can meet the person who is in need where they're at, not where I want to take them, but where they're at, that we may meet their needs together, Lord, and take them to where you desire them to be. God, that only comes with a spirit that is submitted to you, that is desired not to entertain, but desire to be hospitable. And so, Lord, across this room, Lord, I pray that you would encourage those who need encouragement, that you would spur on those who need a swift kick in the butt to restart or re-engage that relationship that they may be trying to get out of or, or terminate. Lord, bring wisdom where wisdom is needed. Bring patience where patience is needed. Bring compassion where compassion is needed. Bring all those where all those are needed. Because God, you are one who cares about us as an individual And you want to work through us to impact those who need you. But you want to do it through each one of us. And so Jesus, it's in your hospitable nature, it's in your name that all God's people say, amen.